0: Um, And we look at maintenance data the same way, right? Are you policing or are you looking for insights to help drive maintenance forward? Like, what are you you looking for here? And yeah, policing doesn't work. One, it can be skirted. And two, you're not building a whole heck of a lot of trust if you're just helicoptering. If there's one thing that's going to separate a successful manufacturing plant from a non-successful one, it's everybody cares about the people on the floor. If you don't and you care about the numbers and the cases, it's not going to work. Um, If there's genuine empathy and care for the the people that, by the way, make or break your living as a plant manager, if you care about them and they know that and you're actually doing right by them, um, you're going to get a lot farther in, in your facility. That's for sure.
1: Hi, this is Brian. Welcome to the Zen and the Art of Manufacturing podcast, where we learn how to improve flow and create calm in a manufacturing environment by using continuous improvement, technology and improving culture. So today I have with me, Stuart Ferguson. Stuart is the head of solution engineering at FIX. FIX is a maintenance management platform built in the cloud. They got like 3000 customers. They're also partners of ours at SensorTracks. So welcome, Stuart. It's great to talk to you. Thanks for having me on. Really looking forward to this one. So don't confirm the finger pointing. And then, <clears throat> so if the data is telling us something, right? So here's the root cause of these breakdowns, you know, and, and if you're, you're walking into an organization that has Maybe not really unhealthy, but something in between healthy and unhealthy, and they're just becoming data driven. There's going to be a lot of opportunity for improvement, like an an unbelievable amount. What do you do? Like, what do you start with that list? You just start chipping away at the stuff that's going to make the biggest impact, or what?
0: How does that work? Yeah, good question. It depends what you're running into. Um, Is it skill gaps, right? Is it will gap, right? Are you looking at people that just aren't motivated? Um, In that case, you have a morale thing, right? And to be honest, they're they're harder to turn around. Um, you got to start doing right by your people because they've been wrong, rubbed the wrong way in the past. Trickier problem. If it's skill gaps, right. If we're, we're doing maintenance incorrectly, or if we, you know, we just have too many stops and we don't know what's going on. That's a lot easier, right? People want to do better. They'll take it in. Um, so you can do some enablement work and go after the low hanging fruit, right. In, in the case that it's, you know, it's downtime that's eating your lunch. There's a lot of people with, you know, I know lean, Six Sigma, there's a lot of different methodologies out there. All boils down to proper reliability engineering. What's eating your lunch? Go fix that. And then make sure that stops don't breed other stops. Work at it systemically. There's tons of resources out there to drive towards that. So on that side, you're fine. On the will side, you got to get your people back on your side. What's the problem? What's really going on? And how can you help? That's all. Figure out how you can help.
1: Every single one of these podcasts that I've done and everything that I've learned about Lean and all the different you know production methodologies to kind of improve things in factory Every single one of them comes back to culture and listening to your people. I think it's, I think it's cool that you pointed that out as well. It's like, you got to walk around, you got to listen, you got to have faith in your people. You know, if you have morale issues, you got to do right by them. I make this joke a lot. People can use sensor tracks to really help improve things, but you can also use it as a knucklehead detector and start firing people based on the data. And the knucklehead detector method does not improve morale. It does not improve culture. It will not get you where you want to go you know, which is similar to the finger pointing, you know, that you're talking about in maintenance.
0: Couldn't agree more. Um, And we look at maintenance data the same way, right? Are you policing or are you looking for insights to help drive maintenance forward? Like, what are you you looking for here? And yeah, policing doesn't work. One, it can be skirted. And two, you're not building a whole heck of a lot of trust if you're just helicoptering. If there's one thing that's going to separate a successful manufacturing plant from a non-successful one, it's Everybody cares about the people on the floor. If you don't, and you care about the numbers and the cases, it's not going to work. I mean, if there is genuine empathy and care for the the people that, by the way, make or break your living as a plant manager, if you care about them and they know that, and you're actually doing right by them, um, you're going to get a lot farther in, in your facility. That's for sure. Yeah,
1: it makes sense. So I want to go back to metrics a little
0: bit for a minute. I think that, and I
1: think you agree with this, but at different levels in the organization you have different metrics that you look at right so an individual you know uh, maintenance tech is going to have different things that they're going to be judged on their boss something different all the way up to the plant manager and up to the ceo so you know if i'm if i'm living in a healthy maintenance culture that has you know a, a system that's tracking things like we were talking about before walk me through kind of the bottom up of that so if i'm a maintenance tech like what am i looking at what am i judged on what are my metrics what do i care about
0: yeah, you, you care about your work orders. I mean, first and foremost, right? That's, that's the plan. You care about the equipment, you care about the work orders um, and what you're doing against the equipment. And it doesn't need to grow significantly past that, right? What's high priority? What do I need to go get done? Do I have all the resources for that? That's, that's your end all, be all. Sorry, work orders open, work orders closed, and your schedule compliance, right? Are we getting to things on time and are we getting them done? Again, I think there's a lot of metrics you can look in there for as far as work order completion in the sense of good, strong, detailed work orders. There's also just some some basic coaching you can run through at the supervisory level to make sure that we're moving towards that as a, as a co- company and as a culture. But really, like it shouldn't be any more complicated than, what do I need to go get done today? And what do I need to do it? That's the main thing. At the scheduling level, right when you start talking about the, the supervisory roles, that's when you start carrying a little bit more around PM percentage schedule compliance. That's getting to more of your your North Star. You could even start tying in some mean time to repair, mean time between failure information. Uh, mean time to repair, um, I, I like more on the on the maintenance side. Mean time between failures a little more of an RE analysis, right? Are we talking about stops? Are we talking about genuine breakdown failure, right? And and where are you drawing the line there too? Right? That's another thing. How do you define breakdowns? That's something you need to, to figure out before we even start talking about this. What's a breakdown, what's a stop? Um, and what's whose problem? So, work orders. You're getting into the, the schedule compliance, your PM compliance, things like that. And then as soon as you're out of that kind of supervisor planner level, you start caring about plant metrics, right? Um, you need to know how your MTTR and your schedule compliance and your PM percentage ties into call it OEE or, you know, if, if, it's, if it's case completion that you're looking at, right? Are we hitting all the delivery targets? What's feeding into that? right? Then you need to know that information because that's how you gain traction. I need this eight hour window next month on this line. And I know it's our critical line, but if we don't do this, this is what's going to happen to our OE in the quarter after, right? We need to do this now to offset this risk, right? And if you can start speaking that way and representing your team that way, um, it makes things a lot, a lot easier to look at the org and understand what is maintenance doing. Everybody sees them out there. They're incredibly high-skilled employees. We know physically what they're doing, but how are they impacting the bottom line? If you don't know that, I mean, you should have that data. If you don't, I'm happy to help you out. We can we can start going down that path. Um, but you need that data. You need to know how you're impacting those bigger numbers. And that really boils down to, to how effective your maintenance activity is.
1: If you have a really good maintenance department and maintenance is working well with the production planners, you may not ever notice anything, right? Because potentially you could almost never have a breakdown because they're doing the pms right and
0: it really not be an issue right yep it is you're not going to get there without maintenance being close to the equipment though so that means that yeah you're you're running without breakdowns mm-hmm. great that means your operators are dialed in right they know their equipment inside and out they know what they're looking for and when they hear something or when they see something they call their maintenance guy hey come take a look at this it's a little fishy i think we might have an issue with say this bearing on this drive roller, come take a look. And then you go through that diagnostic together while running, you determine if it's an issue if it's something we can fix on a quick stop. Is it a straight up replacement? Your maintenance guy is making that call with your operations guy. You're putting that, you're putting that work request in, right? Okay. It's definitely something we have to rebuild, but you know, me as a maintenance guy, I've rebuilt this thing three, four times in the past. Let's go look at those work orders. Okay. No, it's, this is around when it fails. So we should a, Put a PM in. So there's one request that goes to my my maintenance planner. Hey, we need to start PMing this thing because we're we're gonna have a failure. But we've also had this in the past where we've noticed it at this stage and it's run for two or three days before it's been a problem. So, you know, we have a, a clean inspect window tomorrow for an hour. Let's plan this job in here. We'll get the right person out, we'll get that work order in the backlog, get it prioritized in the right parts here at the right time. There, you just avoided a breakdown if your windows, that that 24 hour period, you just avoided a breakdown because you had that good communication, you get the right guys to the problem, you identified it, and you planned it. There you go. That's a lot different than, bang, oh, the drive roller's down, we can't run cases.
1: Yeah, what's interesting, okay, so I, I love this story. So what's interesting about this is the there's only really three people that know about the story that you just told, right? It's the operator, the maintenance text that comes over, and maybe the, the maintenance scheduler, right, to get this stuff done. Mm-hmm. In the, in the case where you have a big crash, breakdown, whatever, and then the superhero parachutes in and fixes the problem, everybody knows about that. So how do you give credit or celebrate these things that are really the team doing their job on a daily basis, but they're doing it so well that we don't have any of these disruptions that you've been talking about like this whole time, right? Like you'd much rather have Uh, a a maintenance window where you're going to do something done versus it break down and nobody expected. Now you're delivering late,
0: right? How, How do you do that? Yep. Breakdowns are easy, right? When that happens, everybody knows about it. Sure. Nothing's happening. The equipment is not running. People know. When you catch something ahead of time like that, how are you tracking that? A lot of people aren't, or they're just putting in a work order and it doesn't go anywhere, right? As the line leader or the supervisor of that area, do you care when your employees find defects? right? When they find things that are going to go wrong, because if if that's not something you're tracking and celebrating, you got to figure that one out right away. Um, A defect tracking system, a work request system, somewhere where you're feeding that information in and celebrating it. So we we caught five premature failures this week. Huge round of applause. That's leading the plant. You know, we're getting all our defects in, you know, we're leading the plant in defects found, defects fixed, or, you know, breakdowns prevented. These are all things you can track that aren't hard to track. And your plant manager probably isn't going to care about, you know, defects found. I mean, she should, he or she should. Um, but if they don't care about defects found, they do care about uptime, right? So we found this many defects and that's our input, right? That's your um, leading indicator, your defects found. My lagging indicator is we found progressively more defects week over week for the past five weeks. Look at where our breakdowns have gone that's, that's now the metric that they care about. The breakdowns get reduced, but you can't just tell your guys Hey, go reduce breakdowns. Tell you what they can reduce breakdowns, but the breakdowns are still going to be there. They're just going to figure out how to make the numbers work. Go increase defects, find some defects, right? Let's look at the equipment. Let's find out what's wrong, right? And I don't know, team that finds the most defects this week, come up with a price, nice Amazon gift card or something, right? Motivate it, make it a game, gamify it if you have to. But the point is leading indicators, not lagging. Defects found go up. Defects fixed go up. Breakdowns go down. Makes sense. So are you seeing, so a lot of companies have
1: daily meetings, you know, like everybody huddles around the communication boards. We're talking just manufacturing here, you know, in in the front of the plant or they'll have departmental meetings. Are you seeing maintenance presenting that data in those meetings, you know, to celebrate those in front of a larger audience or the supervisors of the lines? Like, what do you see from, from that side from a communication perspective?
0: Yeah, good question. First off, maintenance needs to be in that meeting. You wouldn't believe how many times maintenance actually isn't in the production meetings. Not not good. They, they need representation there because that's where you need to be escalating things. So it should be the line. In my opinion, it's got to be the, the production folks, right? Hey, we found this, this many defects and you know what? We went through it this morning in our line meeting and we flagged three as critical, right? So these are our three critical defects. They're on the work plan for today. They're stuff we got to get done and got to get looked at. And the maintenance teams is great. Like we have this person at this slot, send them out there because in this culture, we're not reacting to breakdowns every 20 minutes because they're running well. We got a guy, we'll send them over. Let's take a look at those for sure. Tag us to that on your team board. And, you know, let's reconnect on this one during the reconnect cycle at three o'clock. Right? So there's, there's three pieces of that. Who's escalating it, who's solving it. And then who's checking that it actually happened. Um, because your guys that are out there finding defects, they, they just did all this work. They went and combed the equipment. They're like, hey, these things are wrong. I found them. Great job. Nice work. Awesome. If nothing happens, they're not going to do it again, right? Yeah, sure. They won the gift card or or whatever. But what's a lot more important to them is that you found the defect. Great. You know, hours later or right on that next shift, there's a maintenance guy out there with you walking through what you found, what happened. Okay, we could definitely fix that. You fix it. You prevent a breakdown. They're not having a terrible shift where you're running from breakdown to breakdown. They're having a nice smooth one where they get to pass it off to the next team. Hey, no issues today. A couple minor state things, right? Quality's on point. You want to watch this thing, it's drifting slightly out of alignment. I'm going home to dinner with my kids. <laughs> you know? It's a much different conversation than a shift of five breakdowns.
1: Yeah, absolutely. No, it makes makes a lot of sense. And I like the idea of maintenance being everybody's problem in the sense that it's, you know, like a holistic view and that as an operator, you can't just push the stop button, call maintenance, walk away and go to smoke a cigarette or have some coffee. You need to be there understanding what's going on, because the better you understand it, the more likely it is you can keep your machine up and running and hit the numbers that you have to hit, right? I, I really I like that idea. What else do we not cover that you think is good to talk about from either, you know, metrics perspective, healthy maintenance culture, those kinds of things.
0: Man, we, we covered a lot of ground uh, <laughs> where we haven't gone is, I guess, I don't know. We covered, we've covered we covered quite a bit here. Um, you know, operations tied to maintenance. We talk about it separately. If there's one takeaway, think about it together, right? How's each group helping the other and how are they talking? Ops should know what maintenance is doing. Maintenance should know what ops is doing and what their targets are, right? And they can work towards them together. Um, if they have siloed targets that don't meet in the middle, that's a problem. Make sure they meet somewhere, um, at some level. And we understand how everybody's impacting that. But I think if there's one thing you can take away from this, the whole conversation, um, when you're talking about maintenance cultures, you know, have you listened to your people and do you genuinely care about the struggle that they're having? That's the end all be all of it, right? Do you care? And do they know you care? There's a lot of people that they'd care greatly and you know, they, there's some excuse, right? They're too busy. They have this going on. Something's gone wrong. That's that's not going to get you very far, you know, for the the maintenance tech who's been under a piece of equipment all day because we can't get this thing back up and running and no one's come over and said thank you.
1: Yeah, and that I mean I know what that's like from the software side. Like we have we have breakdowns and things from a software perspective and you know, the systems down and customers can't access not that this happens hardly ever if you're a customer. Uh, <laughs> and you know, we're doing everything we can to get it done. It's stressful, right? There's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of people waiting on you as a maintenance person to get that done. Right. If you're, if you're having trouble. So it, it mean it does. It means a lot when, you know, the people you work for come over and say, thanks, we understand, you know, it's tough and you're doing the best you can. And it means a lot. It seems minor, but it does.
0: Yeah. Is there anything we can do to help? (laughs) You know, like it's always like that you get the, the mental image of the kid passing his his dad wrenches in the, in the car. But you know, if you're under that piece of equipment, you got to come out to grab a wrench and go back under, it's the worst feeling in the world. <laughs> you know, just passing somebody a wrench goes a long way. I don't know what I'm doing. You do. How can I help? I recognize I have no skill here. I recognize you know what you're doing, but I'm sure there's something that I can do to make it easier. Even if that's get the heck out of the way, that's fine. I can keep everybody else out of the way too, right? <laughs> yeah. You're pissed. You grab the wrong wrench or whatever. It doesn't fit. You think the nuts this size, it's that size. Yeah. It's just
1: contributes to your overall frustration.
0: Yeah, just keep temperatures down, keep keep slugging on, right? We're all in this together, and, and how are we going to get back up and going?
1: So where do you go to learn, like, new stuff, like, about maintenance, manufacturing tech, that kind of stuff, you know, to kind of keep up on trends and things like that?
0: Good question. I mean, there's a lot of great resources out there online. All kinds of, you know, Reliability webs, has got their, their stuff going. There's all kinds of maintenance blogs that are really, really good, um, podcasts, To be honest, there's so many good maintenance podcasts uh, and operations and manufacturing podcasts cropping up, you know, this one included, um, where you just, you learn a lot because you're listening to people. You know, if there's one kind of source of truth, that's the best place to go to learn something. Talk to, talk to some folks, talk to somebody maybe outside your industry in a similar role. You're going to learn a ton, but you know, the conversations that I have every day with, you know, our customers who are, are struggling with their maintenance or who are trying to use our platform to do something crazy and awesome and futuristic, I learn more in those conversations than than I do from most articles, uh, to be honest, because it's a practical application, right? We can theorize how we're going to do it all the time. But, you know, when the boots hit the floor and you're actually using it, uh, you learn so much about how people are doing things differently in in awesome different ways. Yeah, you really do. I I guess the cool thing about maintenance is that we focused
1: on manufacturing because that's what the podcast is about. But it cuts across like everything from buildings to utilities to oil and gas to cars, you know, mining,
0: like you name it. And there's a lot that you can draw from across all those different industries. You can draw so many parallels from manufacturing down too, right? Um, if you look at these big end-to-end supply chains and, you know, custom fill companies and all these crazy things, they just have big bloated extended processes. And the advantage of manufacturing is you dial that all into a smi- nice small package, right? But it's all applicable. It's all the same stuff. Yeah, We're all trying to eliminate loss. We're all trying to get better, get faster, get cleaner. And it, you know, the advantage of manufacturing is you get to see it from end to end. A lot of people don't actually get to see their whole processing company from one end to the other, right? From raw materials to a case going out the door. That's pretty cool. And if you can think about your whole business that way, and you know, we're starting here and we're trying to get here, all those pieces in between shrinks your world a little and helps you think about the problem.
1: It does. It's pretty cool. Plus all the weird stuff that you never think about that people have to make, right? That you (laughs) run across.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. There's some wild processes out there.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like uh, one company that that we know really well, they have like 99% market share in the pre-made bacon slicing equipment market. Pre-made bacon slicing equipment market. It's like, what? Like clearly you have to slice bacon to put it in the package so that we can cook it at home or it's already cooked, right? But I never thought that there's a company that's just making that machine that cuts up, you know, this, this bacon. So I don't know, it's wild.
0: I'm sure you've seen a lot of that too. And Oh man, OEMs are, yeah, there's some really cool people and jobs and, and happening in the OEM space. You know, we, instead, of, instead of making something repeatedly all kinds of times, it's, we need a piece of equipment to do this. That's a cool problem to have, making tape and rewinding it. I saw a machine in one of the OEMs I used to deal with that was building a tape, a, a tape machine, basically. We're making rolls of tape. Okay, well, we're going to make an eight foot roll of tape and then we're going to cut it all up, right? With this other slicing machine, then we're going to package it all together, vacuum seal it and chuck it out. And we're going to do, you're going to do 250 rolls a minute. No, not enough. Okay, fine. We'll do 800 rolls a minute. How? Look, what are you doing? (laughs) And it's just awesome to see, right? It's all this standing equipment, a bunch of people outside a robot cell with computers and (laughs) they turn it on and you just, it's wild. Yeah, it's wild.
1: We're starting to get cannabis customers now too, and one of the cooler machines that I've seen uh, is a joint roller, which is like when you think about it. So it's kind of like a cigarette, but it's not a cigarette because it, you know, it's not tobacco. It doesn't go in the same way. The wrappers are different. There's no filter, right? And so, like these are brand new things that people are doing, and it's kind of wild. Especially, it's wild to see it on an industrial scale. I never thought I'd see that in my lifetime,
0: but. Well, our our folks, so I was at P&G in the Brockville location, Brockville, Ontario. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we had a lot of, well, we had a lot of great people. Um, and a lot of the folks that I ended up working with, they, they ended up closing the plant. Um, that's kind of how I made my way over to tech and, and software. But as they're closing the, the plant, you know, we did, we did a pretty good job of getting our, our people out there in, in the job market. And something we realized really quickly is, you know, this upskill that they have is, is serving them well. I mean, we have a lot of folks over at uh, at Canopy Growth, which is one of the the larger cannabis companies in Canada, and they're doing all kinds of cool stuff. Two of the guys on the electrical team with me went over there and stood up the full rolling plant, right? And they're into the beverages plant. They're basically traveling around the country, standing all this equipment up from the ground, um, controls right through to operations, and they're doing some really, really awesome work over there. It's It's a pretty cool space to be in.
1: Yeah, it's a really cool, and especially because at least in the US with the regulations, like they can't outsource a lot of it. So you see, just like you were talking about before, like all of it in a single plant, right? In a single location plant is kind of fun there. But yeah, you know, like they have to extract it, you know, they're putting stuff in and they're making gummies. They're doing like all of this stuff all in one
0: location. It's really freaking cool. Really cool. And it's so new. It's, you're learning everything too. It's all so new that, you know, it's okay. We're doing it this way. It's worked reliably for two weeks. Great. Let's double the output. Yeah. Because no, no one, no one's done it before, right? We don't know where the ceiling is. Let's, let's try, let's do whatever we we want here, right? It's, this is a greenfield space and some of the work is just awesome. You know, talk about, talk about going from, from no industry whatsoever to fully automated and running in like two, three years.
1: It's just wild. Yeah. It's really cool.
0: Really, really cool. So
1: I got I got a personal question for you, and then we'll wrap it up. What's and this is something I like to ask everybody; I always get interesting
0: answers. So, what's something you learned as a kid that still sticks with you today? Ooh, that's a it's a tough one. You know, it, I think the so a bit of background. I guess I'm on myself. Um, I grew up on a farm um, outside of Ottawa, Ontario, um, and you will learn a lot of stuff on a farm um, as a kid. But you learn this idea that that really transferred well to to manufacturing. The job just doesn't really end if you. You, you own it you care about it you know and the the whole idea of of work ethic and i don't mean you know you just put your head down and do a bunch of work but the fact that you know you you're tired you come home you still got cows to feed right or you still got to get this this stuff done it's it's not going to go anywhere and realizing that you're, you're kind of in it right and then the idea that it's not a good thing it's not a bad thing it's a lifestyle and it's all about what you make from it so i would say if there's there's one thing that's really stuck for me from my childhood it's 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 that work mentality right it's that that attitude towards it and the work ethic. It kind of fits with like the way I think about people talk about work-life balance all the time. And
1: I just think about it as life, right? Like I work sometimes, sometimes I don't work, you know, it sort of seems like that's what you're saying too. Like you went to work, you got to come home, you got to feed the cows.
0: If you don't feed the cows, the cows are going to die. You know, it's just not ideal. Not ideal. (laughs) Yeah. Work-life balance is, it's a, yes, it's what you need to get, but the way you get it isn't traditional anymore. The way we work isn't traditional anymore and it's moving more and more towards what people thought of farming, right? Farms give me fun. I always take a nap at 10 in the morning, right? And they're, they're out cold for an hour. Um, but the reality is they were up at 430 to milk. So, you know, it's, it's this bigger picture and the whole world is kind of going there with, you know, what, what is really work and, and not work. And how do you, how do you make it all fit in your life? Because it is your life. It's part of your life. There's no two ways around it.
1: And, and leverage it to get to do what you want to do right now, but not wait. Anyway, we're getting philosophical on Friday.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Got to love it. Friday afternoon, you're supposed to get a little philosophical, right?
1: You're the second person that's told me <laughs> that today.
0: <laughs> I agree. <laughs> but I agree. All right, cool. Well, anything else, anything you want to plug? Anything you want to say to wrap this thing up? Plug? Not really. Um, if you having any maintenance issues, come talk to us. I love talking about maintenance but otherwise nothing from my end, you know, it's, it's great to come on and have these conversations. Uh, The fact that more and more people in manufacturing and maintenance are talking about culture first and foremost is awesome. Uh, I think this is, this is the direction that the whole conversation needs to go is how do we, as a, as a collective, as an industry get better with our culture, right? Um, It's traditionally had some unhealthy cultures associated and, and it doesn't have to. Right. We can all be so much better and and work together and really make make North America world class manufacturing um, in the sense that we can do it very, very well. We know we can. And how do we make that sustainable?
1: Yeah, I I totally agree with you. And we're seeing it and we're seeing it grow quite a bit. Maybe it's just the people that reach out to us, but um, it's pretty cool to see. And uh, I agree with you. Like I feel like we went through a period where everybody was focused on tools, like Six Sigma and Lean, and tell me about all the different tools and the Japanese words that go in there, or the stuff that GE was doing. And now people have come around to the realization that it's really culture that matters. And if you have a good culture, you listen to your people, like you've described today you can put
0: the tools in and they'll work. But if you don't have that stuff, it's never going to work. Couldn't agree more. It's the same with software, right? You look at fix, you look at sensor tracks. These are tools. They're very valuable tools that can help you get there. Same as Six Sigma, same as Lean, but it's all about the culture, right? Behind it. Are people really bought in? Are you driving towards the same things? Do you have the same common goals? Right. And if you have the culture, right, the tools are really valuable. Otherwise you just you just bought a lot of shelfware and, you know, and, and then let's start talking about the big problems, right? Let's get manufacturing dial. Let's get our output. And then let's start, let's start talking about sustainability. How can we do all this with, with next no carbon footprint, right? Reliability is huge for that. If you can run, you don't have to throw things out. It's great, mm-hmm. right? Reduce scrap, all these kinds of things. And and let's start working towards what, what the people really, really care about, right? Cause that's what we're all here for. Make everybody's lives a little bit better. I totally agree. All right. Well,
1: thanks, Stuart. Thanks for joining us. This has been the Zen and the Art of Manufacturing podcast. I'm Brian Sappet. Please subscribe and rate us five stars. Unless you hate us, send me an email before you give us a one star. And uh, we're on every place you can get a podcast for free. So listen, and no ads, which is good too. All right, Stuart, thank you. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for having me.